Good evening, guys. How's everybody doing? Man, it's the few, the proud. I guess everybody stayed home to watch the RNC, huh? Huh? Recorded? Yeah, yeah. I know it's some incredible TV watching. Uh, we'll get you out of here as quick as we can because I know you want to go hear Trump's speech. Um, I want to, this is kind of odd, but I want to welcome the guys from the West Campus because they're going to watch this on video next week because I'm going to be at an event for my wife. If I've learned anything after 37 years of marriage, if my wife asked me to attend an event that she's putting on, I go. So uh, they're going to watch the teaching on uh, video out in the West Campus. So apologize for that. But excuse me? <laughs> yeah, Hillary will be on next week. Thanks. Thanks for that, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be sure to set my DVR. All right. We're going to wrap up this series tonight. So if you got your Bibles, uh, open them up to Hebrews chapter 11. You should have a crease in your Bible by now. And we're going to be looking at the life of Moses. So uh, just by way of uh, reminder, we're going to, this is the last week. We're going to take off the entire week of uh, August. We'll kick it off again for Thursday morning, Thursday night on this campus on September 8th. Okay, so we'll be back to our regular morning, evening schedule, and we're going to be doing the book of 1 Peter. Okay, so we'll, we'll study through the whole book of 1 Peter. And then next year, uh, when we get into 2017, if you don't know this, it's the anniversary of the 500th anniversary of the uh, Reformation. And so we're going to, probably in the fall, we're going to do a series on... Um, the Reformation, the key doctrines of the Reformation that came out of the Reformation that have impacted the church and that are still important today. So we'll be looking at that next year, but that's kind of where we're going to be headed. So let me pray for us, and we're going to unpack the life of Moses tonight. Father, we do thank you for this evening. Thank you for uh, the fact that you're in control when it seems like all around us is out of control, especially in this country right now. Father, I pray that we would be men who would live uh, with faith, not in our government, not faith in individuals, but faith in you, knowing that you are in control, you have a plan, and you're working that plan to perfection. And I pray, Father, tonight as we wrap up the series, that you would help us to walk away with a better understanding of just what faith is and the life of faith should be for each and every one of us in this room, especially as we face all the uncertainty around us. Thank you for the guys who helped set up, the guys who cooked the burgers, the, the guys who helped clean up, Father, and all these guys who show up. Um, I'm grateful. And we just pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so chapter 11, we're going to be in verse 23, and we're going to read, actually going to read uh, a little bit more than just the life of Moses, because there's some verses I want to cover tonight as we wrap this thing up. But we'll start in verse 23. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then we're going to read these next verses a little bit later on. But as you can see, there's at least seven times in these verses where the phrase by faith, which we've read really from the very beginning of chapter 11, it appears seven times by faith, by faith, by faith, all in reference to Moses and some of the events surrounding Moses' life. And, um, but it's talking about a, a particular kind of faith. It's talking about a faith that is going to be a lasting faith, a faith that goes from beginning to end. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that it starts out talking about by faith, Moses, when he was born, 
And then it's going to go all the way through to long after he is gone. Not long after, but after they went into the land. Remember, he didn't get to go into the land. We'll talk about that tonight. But from his birth to the time that he was left in the wilderness, they went into the land. He dies in the wilderness. His entire life had to be a life of faith. And that's kind of where we want to head tonight as we look at this last character in our series Flip back and look at chapter 10, the closing verses in chapter 10, because this kind of sets up chapter 11, everything we've been studying. And we looked at it week one, and I want to go back to it. If you look at verse 32 of chapter 10, it says, but recall the former days. Remember, this is the author of Hebrews writing to these Jewish believers who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So these are people who came to faith in Christ. They placed their faith in Christ, coming out of that, their Jewish heritage and culture, and it immediately led to suffering, struggles. Many of them probably lost relationships with their families. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They were seen as heretics. They were labeled a sect. Then he goes on, he says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew, and this is critical, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So what's he telling them? He's saying, you came to faith in Christ, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Messiah, and by doing so, you were alienated from the Jewish community, again, probably kicked out of the synagogue. Your families probably disowned you. You were persecuted. You were ill-treated. Then he says, but you did so. You even accepted the plundering of your property, losing everything. Why? Because you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. There was something more to come. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has what? A great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see this pattern that he's giving them that you came to faith, you're going through suffering here, but there's a reward to come. There's something better coming. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. He's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2. And if, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But then he qualifies this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. As, as I said week one, when we looked at this particular verse or verses, he is not promoting, teaching, um, losing of your salvation. When he talks about shrinking and falling away, he's really talking about people who never had a relationship with Jesus Christ to begin with. Because he goes on and says, but you are not those who shrink back. We're not those kind of people. Why? Because we're people of faith. We have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And the end result is up to him, not me. I can't lose my salvation. I can do damage to my testimony, and I can bring dishonor to the name of God, but I can't lose my salvation. Why? Because it's guaranteed by Jesus Christ, not by my behavior or actions. So it's got to be an enduring faith. You know, one of the things is I've, I mean, I've gone over and over how to teach this particular uh, section because it's not only the life of Moses, but it's, it's the wrap-up. And one of the things is I've taught, as Logan has taught, and he and I have talked about this, um, I think, I think in, a, in a way I've done a disservice to you guys by taking chapter 11 and pulling it out of its context and just concentrating on one chapter out of an entire book. It's a great chapter. I love this chapter, and I love the guys that we've been studying, but we've kind of lifted it from its entire context. It's not the way it was meant to be read. And I think we've also, in a way, we have elevated, and this is how typically we treat chapter 11 of Hebrews, we elevate these characters to such a degree that they become icons of the faith. We even call it the, the hall of faith. 
But the more I study it and the more this week as I've wrestled with how do I approach this, it's really not about these characters. It's really not about Moses and Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah. It's not about them. And it's also not about their faith in particular. Now, you may think that's strange because for the last six weeks, we've been talking about by faith Abraham, by faith Enoch, by faith Abel. But one of the things that we have to grasp and understand, and I hope you take away tonight from this whole series, is that when we talk about by faith, here's what we do. We plug in words in our minds. Um, For instance, instead of by faith, we, we think by endurance. By endurance, Moses did what he did. By perseverance, Abel did what he did. By gumption, they did these things. We, we see it as some, somewhat of a self-manufactured thing that we produce. Faith is something we produce, like perseverance, like hard work, like gumption, whatever. And we read this and we think, okay, by faith they did these things. But really, I think that the message that the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you and I is that faith is a way of life. It's not a commodity. It's not something I produce or you produce. It's a way of life. And, and today it just kind of hit me that um, everybody who lives, lives by faith. The question is, what is your faith in? You know, there are people who have faith in the government. There are people who have faith in Hillary Clinton. There are people who have faith in Donald Trump. There are people who have faith in money. There are people who have faith in all kinds of things. We all live by faith. The question is, what's your faith in? Who is your faith in? And the other thing that struck me is that I live my life and you live your life as a Christian, whether you like it or not, by faith every day of your life. And here's what I mean by that. If you go back and you study the Old Testament, and you study books like, uh, well, the life of Joseph that uh, we unpacked last week, all along that storyline of the ups and downs of his life, it wasn't until later in his life when he was sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh that he was able to say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. But that was in retrospect. That was hindsight, looking back over his life and seeing the hand of God all through his life. When you get up in the morning, whether you think about God or not, whether you acknowledge God or not, you are living by faith. The sad part is many of us don't get to enjoy the fruit of faith because we don't ever see God in the midst of our life. He's there. He's working. I thought about the the story of Esther, you know, the book of Esther. One of the the things that people say about the story of Esther, the Old Testament story, is that God is nowhere mentioned, ever mentioned, in the entire book of Esther. And when they were uh, forming the canon of Scripture, there were those who said, it shouldn't be in the Bible because it doesn't even mention God. But if you've ever read the book of Esther, you see the hand of God all through that book. It doesn't say his name, you just see his handiwork. And so you see by the time the story ends that everything that looked like happenstance, isn't it interesting how that happened? That Mordecai just happened to be outside the gate when the men were plotting to kill the king and he overheard it. He just happened to be there. That all these things, that that the guy who wanted to kill all the Jews happened to build a gallows outside of his own home on which to hang Mordecai he just happened to build it on the very day that he would hang on it for trying to get rid of Mordecai and and you see all these things happening behind the scenes that if you're walking through that story as one of the characters you would just see this is just man look at all these kind of coincidences but the point of the story is that God is working all along And so as we study the life of Moses tonight, I want you to understand that it's not really about Moses. It's about the God of Moses who is doing some incredible things in the life of Moses. And a lot of the time, Moses isn't even aware of it. And he is living by faith, even though sometimes his faith is weak. Why? Because 
He's having to rely on the outcome that God has planned when he can't see it. And in that chapter 11, verse 1, the description of faith, it's the assurance of things hoped for. I hope it turns out like this. It's the confidence in things that I can't even see. Because it's really interesting. If you go back and you look at, at these verses that we just read about Moses, what does it say? Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born. How much faith did Moses have when he was born? Now there are those who say, well, this is really about his parents. But it doesn't even mention their names. It, it's, it's about Moses. And it says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. See, Moses was an infant. Moses had no clue about his life. Moses didn't know what God had planned for him. But who did know what God had planned for him? God. It was a life of faith. As God's intended servant, God had a plan for him. God has a plan for you. God has redeemed you for a reason. God has placed you in his family for a reason. And he, he has you on a life of faith. You can either play along with that and see his hand in it, or you can fight it and you can buck it and you can do it your own way. But guess what? God's will will be done. Just like it was in Moses' life. His parents had to hide him. You know the story, put him in a basket, throw him down the river, not knowing where it's going to go. Yes, they did have to have faith. But really, it's, this, it's the faith life that from the very moment he was born to the moment he died, this man was on a life journey of faith. And see, what I think you and I struggle with as believers in Jesus Christ today is that you are on a life journey of faith, and sometimes you just don't like it because you don't know how it's going to exactly end. Now, you know the end of the story, right? You've, you've probably read Revelation. You've, you've read, you know it's, we win, Right? It really doesn't matter who's going to end up in the White House. We do win. Our side wins. We are going to spend eternity in heaven. We know how the story ends, but sometimes we go, man, I'm just not sure how it's going to work out in my life to get me there. Well, guess what? That's because you're on a life journey of faith where you're having to trust God for your life. That's true of Moses. It's true of all these individuals that they have to have endurance, endurance when facing difficulty. You guys face difficulty, right? You have things happen in your life. Um, it could be like in my house where we've had a plumbing problem that I've had to have fixed twice. In order to fix it, I had to have all the cabinetry in my bathroom pulled out so they could reach the plumbing problem in the wall. And then I've got to get the wall fixed and I get the plumbing, plumbing put back in. Then I got to get the cabinet put back in. That's a hassle. It's a difficulty. Where is God in that? Well, God's all over it. And part of it is me learning to trust God that it's going to work out. Do I hate writing the check to the plumber that I think is highly overpaid and makes far more than I do? Yes, I hate writing that check. But guess what? You know, it's money. I don't care. At the end of the day, I don't care. God is involved, and I need to learn to endure. And I need to learn to focus on the promises of God because one of the things it says in chapter 10, in those closing verses, he says, the coming one will come and will not delay. See, as you live in this world right now, if you don't have that on your radar screen, if you don't really believe the coming one will come and he will not delay, you will panic with everything going on around us. The, the cultural wars, the terrorism, the racial unrest that's probably going to get worse before it gets better in this country. You will begin to panic. You will begin to worry if you don't truly believe that promise that the coming one will come and he will not delay. you got to have a faith that focuses on the promises of God. But here's, here's the good point for me and I think the good point for you. There are going to be plenty of days where you don't have that kind of faith. Where you just don't believe and you just don't know. I don't know if... You, man, it, everything looks like it's going south. My marriage is going south. My business is going south. My finances are going south. My health is going south. And you're going to have to trust that God has a plan for you. That is the life of faith. Trusting God when things don't look like they're going well. 
And it's interesting in the life of Moses that it didn't always go well for him either, right? Things didn't always turn out like they thought he thought they would. The, the early days of his life, when he got stuck in that basket and got sent down the river, you know, he, he wasn't even aware of what was going on because he was an infant. But he was hidden for three months. He had no idea what was happening. He had no clue what the outcome was going to be. Neither did his parents. But what happened? God orchestrated some events. He ended up being taken in by the daughter of Pharaoh. He ended up in Pharaoh's court. He ended up being part of Pharaoh's family. He ended up being educated by Pharaoh's staff and getting a first-class education, not only mentally, but from a leadership perspective. He was trained to be a leader. Isn't that interesting? What was he going to be? A leader. And all these things were going to play a factor in his life. But what verse 24 says, 40 years later, it's interesting that he chose, the writer chose these particular events in his life, and they all have like a 40-year gap between them. So when he got put in the basket between that point and when he shows up here as an adult, is about 40 years. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, and Acts chapter 7 tells us he was 40 years old, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, one of the things we know about Moses is he knew he was a Jew. One of the benefits of his uh, rescue by Pharaoh's daughter was she immediately uh, looked for someone to nurse the baby because she couldn't nurse the baby. And his sister Miriam was there in the, in the in hiding, she came out and said, hey, I have someone who can nurse this baby. It just happened to be Pharaoh's mother. She nursed him, and while she nursed him, she also, as he began to get a little bit older, long before he went into Pharaoh's family, there was an education process. And, and he never forgot that he was a Jew. He never forgot who he was. But yet at this point, when he turns 40 years old, something in him snaps and he decides that I'm going to do something. And we know the story, you know, he, he sees these two gentlemen fighting, two Jews, and he tries to break it up. And they basically said, who made you a master over us? Who, who, what do you think you're doing? And he gets into some trouble over this. And yet what this verse tells us is that he gave up present success. He was the son of Pharaoh. He gave up earthly treasures. He had all the wealth that he could ever want. He turned his back on the pleasures of sin. He could have anything he wanted, literally, sexually, morally, immorally. And it says he chose reproach over respect. He was willing to walk away from something pretty great. Why? I think the inference in this passage, because of chapter 11, all the context of chapter 11, and, and also the context of the whole book of Hebrews is, he's looking for something in the future, something else, something more, something greater. And it says he chose reproach, the reproach of Christ. Now, did he know Christ was going, going to exist? No. He didn't have a clue about Christ at this point. All he knew was that he was going to walk away from him. And what the writer is saying is he faced the same kind of reproach that Jesus Christ faced when he walked the earth. Remember, Jesus left, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus left glory, came, to came from heaven, walked this earth, was abused by men, suffered a sinner's death, a criminal's death on the cross. He was reproached. He left everything he had behind and came to earth. And so what he's saying is that's exactly what Moses was willing to do. He left his wealth, he left his recognition, his role as the son of Pharaoh, and he was willing to become one of the people. He also rejected the gods of Egypt for the one true God. As soon as he stepped out of the palace and started hanging out with his brothers and sisters, the Jews, he reconnected with his God, Yahweh, and he was willing to leave behind all the gods of Egypt, of which they had many. And he was looking for, as it says in verse 24, he was looking to the reward. Something in him made him look forward to something more. Just like with Joseph. Joseph was, as Logan said, he wasn't content to just remain 
in Pharaoh's court because he knew there was more. God had something greater in store. Did he fully understand what that was? No. I don't fully understand what God has in store for me. I do know about heaven. I get heaven. I know I'm going there. I'm anxious to get there. But there's a lot of stuff between now and heaven that I'm going to go through that I don't have a clue about, that I have to trust him. And so, so was Moses. He was going to have to trust the Lord. And look at verse 27. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, I believe these verses, there are those who think that this particular verse is talking about when he left as part of the Exodus. I think it's talking about when he left because of having killed an Egyptian. And the reason I believe that is because of the order, the sequence of events. And if you look over in uh, Exodus chapter 2, flip there real quickly. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. This is the story of what happened and why he left Egypt. This is pretty interesting. And keep in mind, God is working in his life. He's been working in his life from the day he was born. And he's going to work in his life till the day he dies. And Moses is on this journey, and he doesn't fully understand what's going on. He knows there's a God. He knows God has a plan. He knows there's a future reward. He's not exactly sure what it is. And he's even going to try to help God out. And it's part of what gets him in trouble. Because it says in verse 11, chapter 2 of Exodus, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. This is critical. What's he afraid of? Well, he's, he's, he's been kind of outed. Remember, he hid the body in the sand. Somebody saw it. Obviously, the guy who the Egyptian was beating saw it. He's told his buddies, and now they're going, hey, you're the guy that killed the Egyptian. You're going to do the same thing to us. And he's afraid. And he thought, surely the thing is known. What's known? What he just did. But there's even more than that. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Now, why I say there's more to this story than what we just read there is because if you flip over to Acts chapter 7, you're going to hear the rest of the story. It says, when he was 40 years old, this is verse 23 of chapter 7 of Acts. When he was 40 years old, speaking of Moses, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed, now this is important, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. What did Moses think that caused him to do what he did? God's going to use me to deliver my people. And this is long before he was in Midian and long before the burning bush. He somehow knew, we don't know if he had had a dream, we don't know if he had a premonition, but he somehow knew, I am supposed to deliver my people. You've probably heard preachers say the problem was he was trying to do it one Egyptian at a time. You know, kill one Egyptian at a time, one each day. Well, that's going to take you a while. He had the premonition, the, the knowledge that I'm supposed to be delivering the people of God. I think what he was afraid of is that his motivation or his motive had been spied, had been seen. And now word's going to get out and the people are going to not follow him. Because now you're a criminal. We can't follow a criminal. So he's not really afraid of Pharaoh. He's afraid of the people not really listening to him. It says, on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, your brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled, and he became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. He didn't flee because of Pharaoh. He fled because of the people. And if you go over back into Exodus chapter 4, you don't have to look there. 
when God calls him at the burning bush, remember how Moses said, well, I don't talk very well, and, you know, you sure it's me? Maybe it's somebody else. See, by this time, he kind of lost his zeal because it had been another 40 years. And one of the excuses he gives is, the people won't believe me. If I show up and say God has sent me, they're not going to believe me. See, he feared the people at this point. It wasn't Pharaoh he feared. He feared that his plan had been exposed. He feared that he was going to be completely misunderstood if he shows back up in Egypt. But he did believe that God was going to do something. He just wasn't sure he was going to do it through him anymore. It's like, remember we talked about uh, Sarah, that Sarah thought she was damaged goods. How's, how's God ever going to use me? I think Moses had reached a point where I blew it. I killed an Egyptian. I'm a murderer. How is God ever going to use me? Well, God still had a plan for him. He had to live the life of faith that God had called him to. And 40 years later, after spending 40 years in Midian, herding sheep, God called him at the burning bush and sent him home, sent him back. And he goes back to lead his people. You know, it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews spends no time talking about any of the, the uh, plagues, any of the things he did before Pharaoh. It skips in verse 28 to what? The Passover. It says, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn may not touch them. <coughs> Can you imagine how strange that all sounded to Moses when God said, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to get out of this. I'm going to send an angel. He's going to go through and he's going to kill all the firstborn, every firstborn, Jew, Egyptian. But if you'll do this, you'll be safe. Sacrifice a lamb, take its blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel. And then get in your house and he'll pass over. If I'm Moses, I'm going, that's your plan? Really? I've got to go tell the people to do this? I think he probably struggled. I think he probably wondered, this is the best you can come up with? But what did he do? He did it. He told the people to do it, and they did. And it says, he sprinkled the blood, and the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. See, he had no guarantees this would work, right? God just said, do it, and he did it. He couldn't see what was going to happen. He'd never seen a death angel. What's a death angel? What does it look like? How's this all going to work out? He just had to step out in faith. See, the, the walk of faith, living by faith, is literally just living your life, taking a step. And sometimes the hardest step is the first one we have to take because we don't know exactly where it's going. But who does know? God. And so as we live by faith, just like these individuals in Hebrews chapter 11, they just had to take the next step. God said, sprinkle the blood. Dadgummit, sprinkle the blood. And the death angel passed over. They had to trust God all along the way. And that's a big part of what it means to walk by faith, to live by faith. As ridiculous as it may sound sometimes when God tells you to do something, the best thing you can do is just do it by faith. Trust him. Well, look at verse 29. Moses now gets left out because Moses is out of the picture. Or actually, not in this verse, the next one, but by 29. The, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. See, this is another one of those far-fetched stories, one of those crazy stories where God delivers them out of Egypt. He uh, uses Moses as their deliverer. They leave, and God directs them. Remember, he's going ahead of them as a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. He leads them, and what's interesting, if you read the story in Exodus, he leads them the wrong way. And then it says, and then they backtracked. And he said, now go back where you came from. And he leads them right up to the Red Sea, and during the time they've been wandering, what's happened? Pharaoh's changed his mind. Why in the world did I let these people go? They were free, free slave, slave labor. So he gets his army. They bear down. They find him sitting at the Red Sea. They got the sea in front of them, the army in, in, behind them. And what are they going to do? They panic. They don't know what to do. And yet this was God's plan for them. See, that walk they made from Egypt out this way and then back again was a walk of faith. Because who was directing them? God. But in their minds, they're like, this makes no sense. 
Why are we doing this? Why have we been led this way? And if you look at Exodus chapter 14, let me just read it to you. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, which I would have too. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Did they have faith? No, they're in a panic. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. See in front of them, army behind them. Helpless, hopeless, panicked. And I always love verse 14 of chapter 14. It says, Moses says, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. I love that verse. That's what God's calling you to do. Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. What did Moses know? At least he was trying to believe that God's going to show up because he led us here. He said he was going to save us. He told me he was going to deliver us. We're going to the promised land. We, if we all get killed, then he's not fulfilling his promise. So he's going to do something. Did he know what God was going to do? No, he had no clue. And then in verse 15, this never has jumped out at me before. Moses just told him to stand firm, stay put, stand where you are. And then God says, no. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Walk. Take a step. Now, can you imagine when the water separated, how hard it was to take that step? I don't know what it looked like. All I know is I turn this way and there's an army bearing down on me. I turn this way and there's two walls of water. And I got to take the first step. I want to meet the first guy. It's probably Moses, but who took the next step after Moses? Probably Miriam or Aaron. Who's that first Israelite, just the normal Joe who took the step? That's what I want to know. But what did they do? They stepped down in faith. They had to live by faith, trust God, walk through, get to the other side, and then God destroyed the Egyptians. And then once they get to the other side and they're, they get to the land of promise, Verse 30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, this is 40 years later. It's another 40-year gap, right? Because they get through the Red Sea, they get to the other side, and then for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness because of their disobedience. So 40 years later, they finally get to Jericho. And you know the story of Jericho, right? Let me read to you what God tells Joshua. They're standing at Jericho. It's going to be the first city they conquer, the first city they try to conquer. And here's God's plan. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Now, get this through your head. Think about being Joshua, and he's giving you these directions. There's a, a fortified city. It was a hugely fortified city with great walls. And he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to march around the city. And you're going to do it for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a loud blast on the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Really? This is your plan? I've got to go back and tell these people that this is your plan, that we're going to march around the city, follow the ark, blowing trumpets while they rain down insults and probably sticks and stones and bricks and anything else they can. This is your plan. But what did they have to do? Walk. Take a step, step by step, for seven days. And what did God do? The walls fell. And you may not believe the story. You may think it's a fable. It's a myth. I believe the story. Why? Because it's in the word of God. And that's the kind of God we serve. God did deliver them. They marched. The enemy ridiculed. But they had to place their hope in God and just keep walking. See, the walk of faith is not easy, guys. The life of faith is not easy. And sometimes we don't know where we're going. We don't know where the next step's going to take us. But you just keep walking. And we know in verse 31, it talks about Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot. And we know that she had helped 
protect the spies. And part of the agreement was for protecting them that you will save my family. And she had to trust God. She didn't know how the war was going to turn out. She didn't know if they were going to have a victory or not. But she had to trust God. She had to have faith. So in all these verses, in all the life of Moses, you see a life that was, it had to be motivated by faith because each step required faith because you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know how it was going to turn out. And part of what I get out of this is that for me to live the life of faith is I just got to keep trusting and keep walking. See, I would love to know how everything's going to turn out, but he doesn't always tell me, right? He doesn't write it on the wall. Whether it's a relational issue, a financial issue, a health issue, we don't know how it's going to work out, but yet God just keep walking, keep walking, keep trusting, keep living by faith because I'm at work in ways that you can't see. Just like in the story of Esther, just like in the story of Joseph. See, we've studied all these characters and we know that Abel was murdered, Enoch was taken, Uh, We know that uh, Abraham never occupied a single foot of land in the land of Canaan. We know Noah was saved in the ark, but he, he only lived to die. He also lived to see his whole family create another race of sinners. So it's not about the men. It's not about what they did. It's really about living a life of faith and trusting the God who's working behind the scenes in ways that we don't know. Because if you look at verse 39 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. See, that's the key to chapter 11. They never got what was promised to them. They never got to see the end result. What did Abel get? Abel got murdered. He didn't get to have a long life. What did Sarah get? She got a son, but she never even got to live long enough to see her grandsons. Moses never got to go to the land. Abraham never got to own a piece of property in the land that God had promised. But they were waiting for something more, something greater. So look at verse 32 of chapter 11, and we'll wrap this up. Chapter 32, or chapter 11, verse 32. He's gone through all these characters that we've covered, and then he says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. So he's going through this list of there's a whole lot more people who've lived the life of faith in the Old Testament. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Some were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. See, what do you see in these verses? You see people who had great things happen through them and to them, and then you see people who were living the life of faith and had lousy stuff happen to them. And yet, both are living the life of faith. See, if I look at you and you've got everything going great, and you've got a great marriage, you drive a nice car, and you live in a nice home, and your life's going grand, and you're healthy and fit, and everything's wonderful, and you still got a full head of hair, and you're thin, and I look at you and go, man, you got, you got everything. Man, you must live the life of faith. And based on what's happening to me, I must not be. No. You know, I told my, one of my daughters the other night, she, she was complaining about stuff that has happened to her and all the circumstances of life, and I said, you got to stop judging God through your circumstances. You've got to judge your circumstances through God. God knows what you're going through. God is fully aware of everything happening to you. He's not punishing you. He's, he doesn't hate you. He doesn't despise you. He's not, he doesn't have his thumb on you, but he is molding you and making you into the likeness of his son if you will allow him. And so this idea of living by faith, there's going to be times that are difficult. There's going to be times that are great. There's going to be victories. There's going to be defeats. But you're still living by faith, and you've got to accept that I don't get it. I don't understand it. But you know what? My God's in control, and he's got a plan. And so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to endure. Faith is trusting God no matter what happens. 
I love trusting God when life's great. When the bills are paid, the kids behave, my wife and I are getting along. I, I find no trouble trusting God. But let one thing go south in my life and suddenly all bets are off. Where's God in that? Well, he hadn't left. His plan isn't any, any more diminished. It's not any weaker. His power's not gone away. God's still in control. But what did all these people know in verse 11? Or chapter 11, verse 40 gives us the clue. They all knew that since God had provided something better for us, that apart from them, us, they should not be made perfect. These people knew there was something better out there. There was something greater to come. They didn't fully understand it. They didn't fully get it, but they trusted God for it. And see, for you and me, we've got to learn that faith is a lifestyle. It's learning to trust God that he's involved in every area of your life. Even when things don't look great, God's involved. God cares. God has a plan. God's trying to work in your life. And he, all he wants you to do is turn to him and go, okay, I don't get it. I don't like it. But what do you want to teach me? What are you trying to show me? And so we're living this life of faith that ultimately is controlled by God. And it's learning to trust him that he knows best. So how's your faith? How's your faith tonight? How's your faith doing? Is it, are you trying to muster up more? It really isn't a matter of you needing more faith. It's, it's the fact that you've got to understand that you're living a life of faith and you are meant to live in complete dependence on God and just trust him. Take the next step. Walk out. Walk around the wall. March around the wall. Go through the, the, water, the dry land. Just do what he calls you to do and just trust him. The question isn't really how is your faith, it's where is your faith? What's your faith in? Do you really trust God? If you go home tonight and you watch that convention and you begin to panic inside and you start going, what in the hell is going on? You are not trusting God. You're not trusting God. You're trusting in something that doesn't exist. And so watch it. If anything, just watch it for good theater, but trust God. God's in control. He knows what he's doing, and there's nobody that we can elect. There's nobody dumb enough that we can elect that can stop the power of God. So what are we so panicked about? Is your faith future-focused? Are you resting in his promises? So I'm going to read this last couple of verses, and I will shut up, and then you can applaud. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, this is Romans 8.18. Listen to this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This nation is suffering. Um, you may be suffering. Paul suffered, but he said, I don't consider any of this worthy to compare with the glory that's to be revealed to us. There's something greater coming. And then down in verse 28, I, I, I want to keep this verse in its context because it's, it's one of the most abused verses in the scriptures. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We love to quote that verse to other people. We hate to have it quoted to us. Because when do you get it quoted to you? When your life is totally screwed up. And some well-meaning Christian walks up and goes, well, you know, the Bible says all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. And you want to punch them in the throat, right? You want to just shut up and, you know, get out of my face. But listen to this. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's a sequence, guys. I'm not going to get into a debate over predestination and election, and, but what's the end result of that sequence? Chronological sequence. Glorification. That is our hope. Donald Trump is not my hope. Hillary Clinton is not my hope. 
John Kasich is not my hope. There is no man that is my hope or should be your hope. God is my hope, and his plan for my life should be my hope. The day is coming, and I pray it soon when he's going to send his son back. I really do pray it soon. Yea, Lord Jesus, come tonight. Come right during the middle of the convention. Just come. Where's your hope? Where's your faith? Let me pray for you, and then you can have your discussion time. Father, I thank you so much for the reminder to me and hopefully to these men that we live a life of faith, whether we realize it or not, because we are completely at your mercy. You are going to do your plan, and you're, you're going to accomplish your will in my life and in their lives, whether I want you to or not. And I can go peacefully, or I can go kicking and screaming, but your will will be done. And Father, I just pray that we would learn to just trust you because you love us and that I really don't know what's best for my life. I've tried on many occasions to work my plan and it always gets screwed up. And at this point in my life, Father, I want to learn to trust your plan, your will, your way, your power, not mine. And I pray that for every guy in this room, that, Father, we would realize that when we walk out of the room tonight, every step we take is a step of faith because we have no idea what comes next. We don't know what's going to happen in this country. We don't know who's going to be the next president. We don't know what's going to happen to our health, what's going to happen to our finances, our job, our marriage, our kids, our grandkids. We have no clue, and we have to trust you because you do know because you're sovereign and you're in control. May we live like men of faith from this point forward, Father, to the day you call us home or you send your son back. Bless the time around the tables, Father. Give them openness, honesty, and I pray that you would just guide us over the next weeks as we take a break, that, Father, we would continue to seek you with all our heart. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.